Warning, the following podcast, which contains strong language and mature content, is unsuitable for children or for the faint of heart. The subject matter discussed will be frightening and graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey there, spooksters, and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Jessica, and as always, I'm joined by my favorite ghoul friend, Tara. Hey, spooksters. Today is Thursday, and so we are doing a stabby here on the channel. This one is actually, it marks the four-year anniversary of the victim's death, so it just kind of like, kind of fell into place. Today, we are going to be talking about the story of Amy Nicole Harwick. Her story has been in the news more recently, and you might know why when listening to this. So Amy Nicole Harwick was born on May 20th, 1981. So she and I are birthday twins, so she's older than me. And she was born in Sellerville, Pennsylvania, and she was adopted by Tom and Penny Harwick. And she has one sibling by the name of Chris. Amy loved music, and she was this kind of like bubbly little beautiful girl. And so it was very kind of contrast that she loved heavy metal. Like she was really, really into it. And she loved kind of macabre type thing. So I think she would have fit in perfectly with us, Tara. For sure, for sure. (laughs) An article, actually, it was her obituary said that um, she was very comfortable in a mosh pit and just as comfortable she was dancing with her mom on stage with the Beach Boys. What? That's really cool. I love that. Friends and family said that she loved her family. And this kind of made me think of you as well, uh, because best laid intentions for this one. Favorite time of year was when she'd visit for something they called CBD, which was cookie baking day. I love that. (laughs) Like her whole family, like her cousins, her aunts, her parents, her brother, his wife, whose name was Carrie, and her niece and nephew, um, Madison and Aiden would all come together and they would bake cookies. She grew up in a really small town in Pennsylvania, Lansdale, like I said, Pennsylvania, and she graduated from North Penn High in 1999. Her friends, like I said, said she stood out because we're from a small town. And so anything that's kind of like alt stands out a lot. Mm -hmm. So her friend was like, hey, after high school, you should probably moved to California. And she did. She moved to Southern California and attended Cal Poly Pomona. She would obtain her master's in clinical psychology from Pepperdine. And this is where her life takes a really interesting turn. She would go on to get her PhD in human sexuality from the Institute for Advanced Human Study of Human Sexuality. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I would say that she definitely lived her like lived a life for sure. While she was in college, she really wanted to make sure that she wasn't like accruing debt. So she took a bunch of odd jobs. Some of them were modeling. But one of the things she did is she was a go-go dancer. So she would like go and, you know, 
perform at clubs. Like I said, she was also a model. And, you know, she really did embrace her sexuality. And she even modeled for Playboy. And she would go to the Playboy parties and she would do fire eating. That's fun. Right? So, like, she worked really, really hard. It seemed like she was really spontaneous and fun and just was, like, down for anything. And so she wanted to make sure that she had a cash flow for that. And I can respect the hustle. Mm -hmm. She would go on to become a licensed marriage and family therapist. And she would set up in West Hollywood or WeHo. She specialized in family counseling as well as sex counseling. So, like, she had, a like, a versatile practice. In 2014, she authored a book called The Sex Bible for Women. She was like on a bunch of podcasts, but she also, this is something I found really interesting. She also worked with a a project called Pineapple Support, which is a nonprofit organization that provides free or low cost mental health therapy for pornographic film actors, producers, or other people that work in the adult film industry. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's really good because like that could probably Mm -hmm. take a toll on your psyche. She, like I said earlier, she was beautiful. She was like one of those women who had like that really pretty like porcelain looking skin and the dark like raven hair. Like she basically was like the pinup version of Snow White. Love that. So she would actually end up dating a few celebrities. She dated... Crispin Glover, which you might not recognize the name, but the character that pops into my head is quickest is if you remember in one of the Charlie's Angels movies. Remember the guy that was like obsessed with like the hair? Mm-hmm. That's Crispin Glover. Oh, okay. She also dated Marilyn Manson and Dave Navarro. She dated quite the array of people, I should say. A variety. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And you're about to be like, what? This is about to get a little bit different. So while she was dating Marilyn Manson, she told him, hey, I want to go to dinner for my birthday. I want you to pick me up at six. Her friend Robert was like, he's not going to pick you up at six. Marilyn Manson doesn't get even up before 6 p.m. And she goes, fine. I told him if he doesn't pick me up for dinner, I'm going to go to a party and have the time of my life anyway. And that's what she did. And she met a different fellow who I was like, what? She met Drew Carey. Random. The comedian. Yes the host of The Price is Right. She told him the story and he's like, you shouldn't be, like he literally called it out. He's like, you shouldn't be with someone who doesn't want to celebrate your birthday with you. Mm -hmm. Like you should be with someone who's going to take you. So then like a few days later, For their first official date, Tara, you'll love this. He took her to Disneyland. Oh, my God. How cute. (laughs) Right? And they had, like, the VIP thing. And she said she was just laughing and having this great time with him the whole time. She was like, oh, my gosh, this is so fun. And I guess she may have mentioned that, like, she would love to do this with her friends. So he, 10 days after their first date, he brought her and 10 friends to Disneyland. (gasps) Oh, that's adorable. So like Robert, her friend, his name is Robert Koshland. He goes to Disneyland with him. How amazing is that? That's pretty legit. So they started dating and I was like, good for her. Drew Carey seems great. They kind of had a whirlwind relationship. Like they met in mid 2017. And basically by the time that Valentine's Day of 2018 rolled around, they were engaged. And it kind of sucked for them for a little bit because they got engaged in Paris and they wanted to keep their relationship super private because like she has like a booming business. And it was interesting because in the documentary or in on the show that uh, Discovery ID show, they were like, you know, not a lot of places in America can you have a sex therapy office. But LA, she had nonstop people. And so, you know, she was because of her book, because of her notoriety, because of all this stuff, she had become like kind of her own celebrity. But people were like, oh, she's just withdrew because of the money because he was 59 and she was 36. 
So people were like, oh, the age difference. People were going online and calling her gold digger. That part made me really sad. But she was also being like cyber stalked. Basically, a former friend of hers was going online and like releasing information that was not real information. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. And so basically, it forced Amy and Drew to come out because this former friend was going to sell an exclusive quote unquote story to the National Enquirer and the National Enquirer, they do this. They like reach out to you and be like, hey, someone's going to like release this information. If you want to beat them to the punch, beat them to the punch. So they did. So they gave an exclusive interview to the National Enquirer, which probably didn't help the whole like she's just in it for the money and the fame because it's a trashy tabloid. But they did. They gave an exclusive interview about that they got engaged in Paris. And then on the Valentine's Day episode of The Price is Right, Drew Carey brought her out and announced that he had a brand new shiny fiance. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. I know. It, it was so cute. They seemingly had a really great relationship. Amy talked about it a lot. Like she was on this podcast with her, like I would, I don't want to call it the illustrator, but like the photographer of her book. And they were talking about it. And she goes, yeah, a lot of people thought I was just with him for money, but I wasn't. She's like, when you meet somebody and you just like connect, like that's the, that's it. And he was like so supportive of her, even though he like, he's Drew fucking Carey. He had the Drew Carey show. He's a famous comedian. He's hilarious. Like, he retired to do The Price is Right. Mm -hmm. I used to watch Whose Line Is It Anyway all the time because that guy was hilarious. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? It's probably where I learned all my zingers. And there was this, like, one time she was going to this event. It was called, like, Rock to Recovery. I think it was, like, a maybe, like, a concert. But she was, like, presenting at it. And people were like, oh, my God, Drew, it's so exciting that you're here presenting. And he's like, I'm not here. This is my partner. Like, she's here to present. She's got a PhD. I'm just here to support her. Like, I'm the plus one. And so he, like, really was very supportive of her of her and what she was doing. And he often said to like her friends and like his friends that he kind of wished that he wasn't a celebrity because he wishes that he could just be like with her and not have anyone like watching them. Which I was like, that makes sense. Yeah. He did not like the macabre thing. Like she was talking about like her view in art. It was like this interview and she's into like taxidermy shit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) But he was like, okay, I'll allow it because I love you and this is something you love. So like, why Mm -hmm. not? Right. Right. Yeah. So (laughs) I just thought it was so sweet. And one of the things that he she got him into is they would go to graveyards together, like cemeteries and like walk around. That's fun. And so he was like, oh, this is really cool. It was really interesting because their relationship didn't last that long. Mm-hmm. They broke up in in like late 2018. The biggest thing with that was that I think Drew was like off filming something, but she was like home by herself for a really long stretch of time, days or weeks or something like that. And the trespassers kept coming onto the property and like oh, they were no. stalking her. Mm, scary. And she got really scared and that took a toll because of like how public their relationship was. So I think that caused them to split. When they broke up, it was very amicable. Like they both were like, this is fine. Not like this is fine, but you know what I'm saying? Like they broke up and were like. Right. Like good terms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the relationship we're going to focus on today isn't the good relationship she had with Drew Carey. By the way, if you watch that show, Dead by Fame or Dead by Fame, I'm just going to say at first, you're like, are they accusing Drew Carey of killing her? They are not. Oh, good. I'm going to have to watch this show. (laughs) It was really good. I was like, ooh, this is great. So basically, she had an ex-boyfriend by the name of Gareth Pursehouse. 
And they dated for about two years in the late 2000s, like, you know, like 2008 to 2010 or something along there. It was really hard for me to, like, actually narrow down the dates. They met when Amy was a bottle girl at a club and Gareth was the photographer there. Like, you know, if you go to clubs, they'll, like, take your pictures and stuff. He was that guy. Mm -hmm. And so they met. Fun fact, Gareth really wanted to be a stand-up comedian. Interesting. But he wasn't good at it. He went on this show called Kill Tony. And I don't really know, like, the whole thing, but it's like there's a live crowd and there's like a panel of comedians and there's this guy Tony who's obviously the host and there's like a band so it's kind of like I don't know it looked really interesting and Gareth went on there and they just like ate him alive oh shit mind you he only put his first name he comes out real hot and is like he was like making fun of them something about like oh this is kind of like a industry event there's like half a band like some comedians blah 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 and he was like oh there's a full band when like kazoo pops out of the ground and like comes out singing out of tony's mouth the host is just like what the fuck is happening (laughs) yeah and people are like i don't think people are laughing at gareth i think people are laughing at the reaction that like that tony's having Mm -hmm. and then they just start picking him apart they're like why only one name like and he goes well i have kind of a long last name and they're like well what is it and he's like it's purse house and they're like those are two words we all know yeah (laughs) it's not like my maiden last name (laughs) which tripped people up quite a bit but you know I could look at that and be like, oh, that's clearly Purse House. Yeah. That didn't work for him, which also must have been like a sore subject with him later on when like Amy was with Drew Carey because he's like a world renowned comedian. Their relationship wasn't good by any stretch. Like, she didn't actually talk to her friends about it. But, like, when he would be around, like, Amy was that type of person who just always had friends. It was kind of like you would meet her and just become her friend. A lot of her friends were were guys. And it was said that when Gareth was around her and, like, one of her guy friends would come over, he would, like, grab her and, like, try to make out with her, like, stick his tongue in her mouth. Ew. And she would be like, oh, my God, this is so weird. And, like, kind of, like, push him away. And he was like marking his territory like that's the words her friends use is that he was like trying to show everyone he was marking his territory oh my goodness gross gareth was also abusive one of the ways that they would do is they would get into like an argument in the car and he would either be like arguing with her or sometimes he would actually like physically like grab her and like be bashing her head into the seat (gasps) Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Like, it was abusive, abusive. And because, like, this happens a lot with people who are in the therapy fields as they meet someone and they see, like, good in them. And then they're like, I can fix them. So I don't want anyone to be like, why did she stay with him for two years? People do things because they have their reasons. She would be, like, screaming, let me out of the car, let me out of the car. And he would pull over and push her out of the car and then leave her, leave her stranded. Her friend, Maricela Mendoza would say he was extremely vindictive. So if, like, she would see him do something or Amy would do something that would piss him off and, like, he would punish her for it. And they lived together for two years and this kind of shit happened all the time. And eventually they did break up. And they had a friend who was, like, a mutual friend, like... He worked at, like, the same kind of clubs and interactions that they did. His name is Rudy Torres. And Rudy said that, like, Gareth would be like, dude, can you just, like, text her for me? Like, she's blocked me or she won't talk to me. And he's like, no, like, just let it go. He kept telling her to, like, let it go. 
or telling, I should say, he kept telling Gareth to let it go and he just wouldn't. He would like send him text messages of like, I'm assuming YouTube links to songs that were like super sappy and be like, listen to this song. Yeah, it was weird, like that kind of stuff. But he wouldn't let it go. And in fact, I think it was like a year or two after they broke up, she went to China to teach a class, like one of her classes. And when she came home, she lived in an apartment in Sherman Oaks and she said that Gareth had broken in (gasps) because like all her photo albums were gone. A bunch of her framed pictures were like turned upside down, like face down or like upside down. And her computer had been wiped clean. So she calls Robert, her friend, and is like, hey, what the hell? Like, I don't know what's going on. Can you come over here? And he comes over and like, he's like within seconds, like he realized the operating system had been deleted from her computer. Oh my God. Oh, by the way, Gareth is a photographer and a software engineer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna say he's obviously techie. Yeah, he has the tools. And then it's weird because then the next day Gareth showed up and he was like playing a love song declaring his love to her like outside her house and she's like get the fuck away but she never really truly felt safe with him because of the fact that he was techie she kind of always felt like he was like monitoring her accounts and stuff like one of the things is in 2012 she decided that she wanted to go work at a prison she was like i really want this job and gareth found out and freaked the fuck out because apparently like her going to work at a male's prison is like intimidating for him he took her playboy pictures like some of the ones that hadn't been published and sent them to the prison (gasps) what the fuck what a psycho Mm -hmm. my god so she thought her career was over and that's like her friend maricella was like why don't you just do the sex therapy full-time like really dive into it and so she did and this is where she grew because like before this point she was just doing marriage and family counseling okay that makes sense after this like she was like fuck this i have to get a restraining order on this dude and so she did and she got a restraining order and it was like a five-year restraining order which expired in like 2017 or 18 then she has all the relationships with like celebrities and drew carey and then she's back into doing her thing so from like 2018 to 20 like 2020 she's really doing like her work and kind of coming into her own she would do these like seminars and people would come but like she felt it was really difficult at times because amy was really pretty like she was gorgeous and like clients or i call them fans would like show up and just be like obsessed with her like in her beauty so it was like it would like derail her events sometimes Yeah, damn, that sucks. And because she did the work with the, like, the pineapple support, she would often be recognized in the adult film industry for her, like, contribution to their, like, mental health. On January 16th, 2020, so, like, right before pandemic, she went to something called the X-Biz Awards. And she's on the red carpet. There's, like, there's footage. If you watch the, the show on Discovery+, Plus, she literally, you can see the photos of her and you can see this interaction happen. So Gareth is there. They haven't seen each other in eight years. Basically, she was like with a friend and the friend stepped away and he is like in the line of photographers, right? He has a camera, all of that. And he just like steps out of the line and approaches her and he starts like yelling at her. Mind you, she hasn't heard from him in like 
eight to 10 years at this point, you know, like it's been a minute. And so he starts screaming at her. They kind of like walk down this like off the red carpet. There was kind of this like little sidewalk, which I think if the red carpet or the orange carpet or whatever color it was, wasn't there, it would just be a continued sidewalk. And they kind of walk down there and people are filming them, right? So they're still like looking down at them and filming them down this like walkway. And he starts reciting old text messages, text chains. <gasps> what a psycho. How do you remember that? Exactly. Tara, I can't remember what I texted you earlier today. No. The fuck? And like, he literally is like reciting these old texts and she's freaking out. And then he yells really loud. You ruined my life, bitch. <gasps> and she immediately goes into therapist mode and like tries to deescalate it. He falls to the ground in the fetal position and is crying and having a giant temper tantrum. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she wrote this like, I don't know if it was in her diary or like to her friend. She's like, Gareth came up behind me and started screaming. Why are you here? Why are you here? And then he was sobbing. His head was in his hands. He was hyperventilating and he was distorting his face up and shaking violently. What the fuck? Right? Like, I think she was texting Robert this because Robert is literally like her best friend. Like I said, she just went into therapist mode to pacify him. He was basically telling her that they were still in a relationship. Oh, boy. Yeah, like, wow. was basically saying to her that, like, it's not over between us. And she could tell that he was jealous of all these men. She told her friend Robert, like, tonight I was very scared. It terrifies me that he's obsessed with me for nine years, that he thinks about me every single day. So... At this point, she's like, I got to, like, figure out my security. Like, I got to bolster the shit up, right? Because this dude is crazy. And I would think that he knows where she lives. Oh, yeah. It's been nine and she's moved a bunch of times. Like, he knows. Her and Robert come up with this idea until she can get, like, a security system installed. She's going to share her location with Robert so that if she's ever, like, non-responsive, he could find her. So we're going to flash forward to Valentine's Day 2020. Amy, the day before, she reached out to Drew and told him, you know, because Valentine's Day is very special to them because he announced on television their relationship, them being engaged. So she reached out to tell him how much she missed him. And she basically, they decided that they were going to meet up soon to like hang out and like talk, which I was like, oh my God, that's so great because she had told Robert how much she loved Drew. Like, I really do think that it was like, they were the right love. It's just like, they weren't ready for it. So she decided, hey, I've got a great group of girlfriends. She took Valentine's Day to a whole new thing. And so on Valentine's Day, she did like a whole day with like different girlfriends. She got up in the morning and she went for like a 6 a.m. sunrise hike. Tara, I love you to death. But unless we're going to Disneyland, do not expect me that early. Uh, No, I don't want to do that either. <laughs> Thank you. This is, why, this is why Tara and I work. We, we don't expect each other to be up at 6.30 in the morning to go for a freaking hike. I mean, that's you. Good for you. Not for us. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Her and some friends went to the Beachwood Cafe for breakfast. And then they kind of just like hung out around the rest of the day. And then they got ready. And that evening they went out to like a burlesque show. It was Miss Tosh. It basically was a show meant for like single people, but also like people in relationships. It was like a little mix of it, but there was going to be like bits and pieces of it. Amy wore a super cute crushed velvet like blush colored dress and she was wearing a rosary bead necklace like a really long one and the necklace is very important when amy was at the show she had a roommate so like amy lived on the third floor and her roommate lived on the first floor and he was at home asleep and he woke up in the middle of the night to this like loud noise and he just thought it was amy coming home and he rolled over and went back to sleep 
Amy then, she's at the burlesque show, then she leaves, but they don't go to like the after party of it. They decide to go to Nomad and get tea. And then they were there until a little bit after midnight and she pulls into her driveway and sends a text to Robert. She sends photos of her from Nomad that she had snapped to Robert. And it was like 1.02 a.m. And basically she had said like, oh, you know, I'm home, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, hey, there's this restaurant because they were getting ready to go on a trip to like somewhere in the UK. And he was like, there's this restaurant I want to go to. And she's like, that sounds great. And then she enters her home. And according to what the police say, she's not in there very long. And she is viciously attacked in her third floor bedroom. Her roommate hears the screaming and he like immediately tries to like, he gets up, he starts running up the stairs and he like thinks he's like scared off the intruder. And then he runs outside because he can't find his phone. I don't know, like in this moment, like if you panicked, like if you didn't have your phone or you couldn't find one, he did the right thing because he ran over to like a neighbor's house and was like banging on the door, but like no one would answer. So he just kept running down the street until he finally found someone who was like at 108. So she was like 102. She's literally texting someone, goes inside at 108. He's like finally gets through and calls 911. They get there like a few minutes later and they, you know, go into the backyard because they go upstairs and she's not there and then they find her. She's on the ground outside. She has severe injuries with like deep marks on her neck from signs of being strangled. And she had head injuries from her fall. So she was rushed to Cedar sinai Medical Center Hospital. But unfortunately, she would end up losing her life and she was pronounced dead at 3.26 a.m. So the police look at her and they immediately realize like the bruises on her neck, that's from like manual strangulation. That's not like she hit that on the way down. They were like, what the fuck happened? And so they go into her room and they can see from like basically right inside her bedroom door, there's like beads that lead out towards the balcony. And they're the rosary beads she was wearing earlier that night. When they get outside on the balcony, they find a syringe that's filled with liquid. And when they do a test of the liquid, it is nicotine. It's a lethal dose of nicotine. Oh, shit. I was like, damn. Literally (laughs) on the thing, they were like, there's no reason to have a syringe of nicotine of that potency unless you're going to kill someone or yourself. Right. And Amy didn't have a drug problem. She didn't even smoke. I mean, she drank, but she didn't like, you know, use drugs or smoke right they are like oh my god so then they call robert who's her best friend is also the last person she texts right so they bring him down to the police station and like her roommate had given him like a heads up like hey the police are gonna call you because something's happened to amy i don't know if the roommate knew what had happened but this is about nine o'clock in the morning when robert gets down there and they start invest they like and start interrogating him a little bit and he's like oh my god what i don't know what's going on and then as he's sitting in there another police officer comes in and basically informs them that Amy has passed away and Robert kind of rightfully so falls apart. And then they were like, do you know anyone who would want her harmed or dead? And Gareth Pershouth's name could not come out of his mouth faster. He was like, oh my God, this dude. And he begins to spill the tea on the eight years of like craziness, the computer wiping, all that shit. And they were like, okay. He tells them the story about how they ran into each other in January and all this shit. And so the police are like, okay. They literally go and get him. They arrest Gareth 13 hours after she's been attacked. That's like the fastest. They did call Drew 
you know, he's an ex-boyfriend and they look into this, but he was like, the only contact we've had in such a long time is that text. And I was looking forward to seeing her and they were like, oh, okay. Robert called him to tell him and he told 48 Hours that basically it felt like his feet Like, he could barely stay on his feet. Like, his feet got knocked out from underneath him. He was, like, so shooken up at that. Which I was like, that makes total sense. So, Gareth is arrested. And he's arraigned. And he is arrested for murder and burglary. And he is set with a $2 million bail. Well, you only have to have 10% of the bond in California. And Gareth makes bail. Amy's cause of death, like I said, is manual strangulation and blunt force trauma from her fall. So, that's not one without the other. They find Gareth's DNA under her nails. He also has scratch marks on his face and a bruised, like, left eye. Like, he's got a little black eye going on. So he makes bail on January 19th. And Maricela was, like, really afraid because she's visibly shaken up in the documentary. Because she's like, he knew where I lived and he knew that I knew about him and Amy. So she was, like, in panic mode. But Gareth violated his bail conditions. Basically, in your bail, especially with something that high, you can't even be near an airport. Unless, like, you, like, live, like, near an airport. But, like, he was caught near LAX and they were like, he's gonna try to fucking flee. So on August 18th, he pled not guilty. Now, because the pandemic had happened, he basically had to wait such a long time. He has his first preliminary hearing in 2021. And he basically, at that point in time, his lawyers say that he didn't kill Amy, that she fell off the balcony by accident. And the judge was like, no, no, there's manual strangulation involved in this. Try again. Right. So they sent them back. The deputy district attorney, Catherine Mariano, said it became very clear to me that Perthau's obsession drove him and his intent to kill her. I mean, from the timeline, he was in her house for several hours. Oh, yeah. It wasn't like he broke in at like 1220 and she showed up at one o'clock. Right. He had like, it had been like at least two hours. And then basically they described what happened in their opening statements Uh, And they said, basically, he strangled her and then lifted her over the balcony and dropped her to her death. The defense said that basically he, after seeing her in January, oh, talk about victim blaming Tara. After seeing her in January, he got into a deep, debilitating depression and just wanted to talk to Amy. That's what they all fucking say. They all say, I just want to talk. No, you're a fucking psycho. Right. His only intention that night, quote unquote, was to speak to her, according to his attorneys. Now, a really interesting thing is when Gareth was arrested, he wasn't alone. There was a woman who he had met on Tinder a few weeks before, and she had ridden a bike over to his house. And he was like doing construction. So they were like hanging out. And she said that his house was really disheveled. So she actually helped organize his house. He then changed his clothes and then they left. And as they're leaving and backing out of the garage, there's a bunch of cars blocking his driveway. And then the cops show up and arrest him. Like they literally left her sitting on a curb for two hours while they processed the scene. And it was interesting because, like, it was so weird. Like, I watched her testimony. It wasn't in the documentary. I just watched it on YouTube. And it was almost like she was mad that she had to, like, testify against Gareth. And I was like, girl, 
I'm sorry, but if you'd only been on like a few dates with this dude and he turned out to be like a murderer, count your fucking blessings. Because then the defense basically tried to say that Gareth was so depressed that he'd actually gone there to use the syringe on himself and was going to kill himself in front of her. That's not traumatic at all or stable. And I think they were trying to basically like use the narrative like he wasn't in his right mind. I don't think I think he was there to kill her because I think he was like, shit, this chick has definitely moved on. If I can't have you, no one will. That's exactly what it was. Oh, a thousand percent. And the jury would agree with you. His trial began on August 29th, 2023. And on September 29th, 2023, he was convicted of her murder. And on December 6th, 2023, he was given the life sentence without the possibility of parole because he lives in California. And what is the point of the death penalty? Because this could be a death penalty case. Because of the fact that he laid in wait for her, it qualified in the circumstances to be a death penalty case in California. So this was a story I hadn't even heard of this. And I was just like, oh, you know, our Thursday episode is coming out right after Valentine's Day. I want to like do a Valentine's Day thing. So I typed it in and the story came up and I was like, holy shit. And the fact that it would go live on the four year anniversary of this event happening. So with that, we're going to end today's episode and we will be back on Monday with another one. Bye, guys. Toodles. Toodles.